it's always good to get a Division One college coach in season uh, when the action's really rolling along to get their view. And uh, we're lucky enough today to have the uh, pitching coach and uh, recruiting guru from Gonzaga University, Brandon Harmon. The team is currently ranked 19th in the nation, coming off uh, last week a huge sweep of the number four team in the nation, Oklahoma State University. Brandon, we rarely call you Brandon, normally call you Harm. How you doing, buddy? I'm I'm great, and I'm uh, I'm fired up to be here. Well, we want to really unpack. I'd love to talk about Oklahoma State, and if. Um, if you haven't had a chance, it's well worth going onto the internets and YouTube to look at their uh, facility because it's unbelievable. We'll probably get your views on that um, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, you've been at this job, uh, Division One College. Gonzaga's primarily known for their success they've had in basketball. And, you know, you may have been riding the coattails on that a little bit, which probably helped on the recruiting side of things. But, you know, now 19th ranked in the in the nation. Um, I really was keen to unpack how college baseball and specifically pitching in college baseball has changed. You've been in the role for 10 years. How's it changed? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like I just got done playing not too long ago and, you know, even 10, 12 years ago, it was 9092 was really firm. And now, you know, I, we kind of talked before we got on air you know, I, I got four guys that will pitch 95 miles an hour plus. Um, we had our first guy, you can, it's all over Twitter and whatnot, but had our first guy at Oklahoma State at a high three-quarter sidearm or touch 100 miles an hour. Um, that was pretty neat to see in person. But, you know, just the evolution, and, and you look at scouting reports up and down the, the game, and everybody's got velocity now. And so, you know, learning how to develop velocity, I think, is really improved just in the last five to six years um there's all kinds of new you know training technology things that we can do to to help enhance that and it's it's i think it makes for a pretty exciting product and um definitely changes uh changes kind of the way you you look at things whether it's recruiting or just uh what you can envision a guy being when they're you know 19 20 years old 100 from three-quarter sidearm gives me the chills thinking about that as a right-handed hitter that would be i just put it back in the rack and not even bother with that but um from a you know you're i would love to really talk about recruit modern day recruiting and how that works but when you're looking to bring pitches into the program and obviously gonzaga is a four-year college um like what are you now recruiting for are you looking just hang on this framework here to get someone up to the high nineties or what's your mentality when it comes to recruiting pitches into the program? Yeah, I think we're looking at every facet. I mean, every guy and I, I use the analogy, I want to make guys the best version of themselves, but you know, if we, we see a guy that has potential to throw the ball hard, obviously he's going to be, he's going to check that first box that you, you can't, you can't compensate for overall strength, overall raw arm speed. Um, so that's one thing that, that always, you know, checks out, but then, Seeing the way the guys, a guy can spin a baseball, um, if it's a younger guy that you're recruiting, which, you know, in our world, we're, we're looking at young, you know, sophomores, right? And that's, that's a heavy class that you're recruiting. Is maybe the velocity isn't quite there yet, but what's their hand speed on, on their breaking ball? Can they, can they spin it efficiently? Um, and then you're just looking, you're using your prior history as well of you know, what, what do they look like compared to what maybe one of your guys three or four years ago looked like at that same time and, and try to look into that crystal ball and, 
it's not always right. It's obviously a very subjective um, analysis at times, but it's, it's something that, you know, that's the one benefit of, of being added a little bit longer as compared to being fresh that you start to get a, 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 an eye for what you're looking for with, you know, some of the movements, you know, what kind of disassociation they get between their lower half and top half. And um, some of those things that are indicators that they're going to throw the ball hard and, and stay healthy as well, too. So. Um, there is a little bit of pitching for dummies here, me being the dummy. When you say disassociation between top half and bottom half, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I guess, you know, maybe in, in my layman's terms, which I should keep it that way because that's how I am, but it's just, can, can they get some separation? Can, they, can their lower half start to fire um, independent of their top half? So just no different than a hitter um, where we're, we're starting to get some rotation of their hips and we're creating that rubber band effect of, um, you know, that, that torso and that trunk creating, creating that, that, that tension and that strength. Um, and I think that, that helps play up to see how, how flexible a guy is, how functionally, how functionally strong he is. Um, that's one thing. And I've, I've learned, you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about strength training, but how flexible guys are too. You got to be able to use your strength. And, um, that's one thing we spend a lot of time with and our strength coaches spend probably more time with than our guys even <laughs> would care to. So the, the piece, I, I really do want to go down this recruiting rabbit hole with you, but we'll hold off on that for a little while. Um, the, the, and I, so how many pitches do you have on your staff at any, any one time? Ooh, um, right now it's at 20, which is, is higher than it normally would be obviously with COVID, um, over the last two years, I've kind of thrown a, you know, a bottleneck into, into our roster, but we have a roster of 40 guys right now. Um, and so next year it goes down to 35. So I think we'll start to settle back into pre COVID with a 35 man division one roster, 16, maybe 17 was, was the amount of arms you had on the staff. So, so th- I guess the question I had is, and look, so, you know, you, you played in the 2000s, um, and mm-hmm. there's still the restrictions around how much time you have with players. How has the how has the time allocation changed? So, you know, back when you were playing and some of this modern approach to pitching wasn't in place, you know, you, you do your pitching work and then, you know, you're shagging balls in the outfield and, you know, all of those types of things. How do you now use time to allow – and what are the breakdowns of how much – allocated baseball time is in spending the gym or how much, you know, what have you, what, what is being done differently now to best utilize time for pitcher development? Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing, and I know individual to our program, I, I think our head coach has really maybe rethought that here over the last 10 years. And kind of like you said, that it used to be, Oh, pitchers go play catch and there's three more hours of practice. And now you're just going to be standing around servicing the hitters, right? You're, you're shagging, you're doing things where, um, now it's whatever you need to go get done, pitchers go get it done. And so, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the way division one baseball breaks down time, we have what are called 20 hour weeks, um, which is exactly, you get 20 hours. Um, so you basically a three hour practice a day. Um, and that includes your weight training in that time frame too. And then you get eight hour weeks, which is more in the off season. And that's four hours a week of, tr- of skill training and four hours a week of, um, of your, of your weight training. And so, you know, programming all that is obviously a a big part of the job for, for pitching coaches or for position coaches. But um, I think that's where some of this recent technology has maybe streamlined and made 
you know, things more efficient for guys and, and really being focused with their training. And, you know, when we're in 20 hour weeks, we don't need 20 hours to get our work done as pitchers, but we do need each day. I'd say, you know, they have their hour of, of lifting on probably four days a week. And then at practice, they need a good hour and 15 minutes to carve out their whole routine, you know, starting with, you know, dynamic warm up, foam rolling, um, mobility work. We, you know, we get into plyo ball throws, we do band work, we do body blades, and then it's then, then you're, then you're a touch the baseball. I mean, it's maybe 30 minutes before they even have a baseball in their hand. Um, and then, you know, spending enough time to throw. I think that's one thing for a lot of younger kids. I hate when I hear people say, oh, I put a time limit on how long they can throw. <laughs> I, I'm on the end of it. I, I want guys to <laughs> spend time. Yeah, that, that's our craft. Like, throw. Man, that's how you're going to build arm health. I mean, I think I learned more of that as I watched some of our guys come back who have been in pro ball or talking to former teammates. Those guys throw every single day. And they start to build up a tolerance. And I know that they're they're grown men, but you start to learn – you start to start to build up some of those muscles, no different than if you were in the weight room and getting yourself stronger. I, I, I see a lot of younger amateur players. My equivalent to it is they just like to pitch. And that's like maxing in the weight room every single day. For one, it's not going to get any better. And two, you're going to start to break down. I mean, that's just, you can't do that. You need to have a program that builds you up. And so, um, so on our daily routine, I'm trying to encourage them, hey, spend 20 to 20, 30, 25 minutes throwing. And then if it's a bullpen day, we get into that. And then, you know, post-throwing recovery type stuff. And now you can go shag and do those type of things. So um, really just trying to give our guys that, hey, you have time to get this stuff done. Like, you don't need to abuse your time. Be efficient with it. But we're not in a hurry here. Let's 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 really focus on what we're doing. Yeah, it's funny you just said that. We, we just um... – recently released a, a blog post where Tyler Anderson, who's um, you know trying to provide expertise to, to the game in Australia, was saying that it drives me crazy. You show up to practice and you're like, the, the piece that is rushed through is that warm-up and play catch so you can get into doing bunt defense and stuff like that. And um, that's the piece that we – particularly in Australia where, you know, you know, you know it. Like it, you play once, maybe twice a week and – so therefore, you might be practicing twice a week. So that's three times a week, two times a week you're pitching. Uh, sorry, throwing, and one time a week you're pitching. It's just not enough. And uh, yeah, it's the it's the crazy thing that's neglected, but it's the most important thing is the guy who can get on the mound and throw strikes and 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 hump it up. And we don't we short shrift what they get to do down here. So um, yeah, really trying to change that mentality. So it's quite pleasing that you that you you say that you carve out time for those things. Yeah, I mean that's being able to throw. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I would I will hammer that one home. Is pitchers need to throw more than they pitch, and getting used to cutting it loose and long toss and pull downs, all those things are not only building up that the physicality, but you're, you're just learning how to move the baseball in your hand too and getting a feel for it. It's, I don't think it can be it can, it can't be matched in another environment. You touched on you know when we were talking about the 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 weekend kind of starting rotation you have and their projectability and you, but you used an expression trained for velocity. What, what does that look like on a day-to-day college program? How do you, how do you, how have you got guys training for velocity? Yeah, I think, um, just the industry as a whole. I mean, if you look over the last five, six years, I mean, I'll use driveline, you know, I, you guys are obviously familiar with driveline mm. and, um, I think they kind of started it right. Like, Hey, there's a way that you can, you know, compensate and, and find ways to, to strengthen your arm, speed it up. And 
And so I, I wouldn't say we're a full driveline program. We kind of provide a, I stole this idea from someone else, but a, a buffet of options, whether that's, you know, throwing plyo balls as um, a warm up, it's throwing plyo balls to help create an arm pass. Um, but we do other things too. I mean, we have, we use a, we use the velocity belts, which are kind of that way to tr- train your lower half, how to, how to fire and how to work. Um, we use body blades that are, you know, for me, they're a warm up for our guys, but they also build up some, some physical endurance. We use the standard J bands, try to give our guys a lot of different things. And not every single guy uses every one of those, you know, tools. Some of them, they still have to have some freedom of what do I like and, and not like, how does it make me feel? I still think, I still think it's the placebo effect of what makes me feel right is right at times. Um, but then the other, I mean, just, the, I think it's the, the biggest component to this and I'm, you know, is just, you can't compensate for just overall strength as well either. I mean, our guys are, are in the weight room four days a week. We're in season right now. I mean, we're just, we're just getting off a 12 day road trip. Um, we're getting in, in the weight room at least three days a week, even in season. Now, are we maxing out and doing everything that we were maybe in January? No, but we're still, we're trying to maintain that, that, that threshold of strength that they've done. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of our pitchers, if, if you walked in, you'd be like, Oh, that's, that looks like it. That looks like a high end college athlete. I mean, they're, they're not the frail and we've all been around that pitcher. That's been the skinny guy who's been really good. But I think a lot of these guys, you look at them, you're like, man, he's, that's a put together. That's an athlete right there. And so, um, I think that's definitely one component of it is just getting in there and moving weight around for sure. Hmm. I think that's, that's the interesting piece is four days a week. Like they're, they're managing a full pitching throwing program as well as, you know, lifting weights. And it's not, as you said, they're not, it isn't the max out, but it is still, they're not doing, you know, five pound wrist curls as well. It's, you know, it's actually working on their body and being strong. And that's the bit that I think really opens people's eyes that you, you just have to be physical. And we, we talk a lot with our guys too of, you know, if we can be consistent with it, whether that's my, my weightlifting, if that's my long toss program, if I'm consistent, you stay conditioned to it. The worst thing though is, you know, I know you've been in, I know you're not afraid to get in the weight room, but if you take three or four weeks off from lifting or three or four weeks off from any type of physical activity, what's the last thing you want to do when you have competition coming up is, is to go lift because, you know, I'm, I'm fearful that I'm going to be sore. Now it's going to compromise what I'm doing, you know, tomorrow for my game. And, and you, that might be true for that day if you're not in condition, but over the long haul, over the stretch for us, February through June, you're just robbing yourself future you. And so um, getting, getting disciplined and staying in the weight room. So you don't, you don't have that fear of competition of being sore um, is, a, is a something we talk about a lot and trying to just maintain that workload and, and manage it as, is a big a big push for us. So. I do appreciate you shouting out my rig. Um, that's um, <laughs> quite the acknowledgement. One of the actually that just sort of leads to another question I have is the interesting thing to me, and it, it this does mirror Australian baseball a little bit. Is like in college, you 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 bring the guys in, you do four ball, everyone gets after it, and then you ramp down, and then you ramp it down over the sort of winter Christmas period in the US and then you have to ramp back up for the season which sort of flies in the face of what you just said then and I was in, it was interesting to me reading some articles about Tom Brady who just unretired again today but 
um, yeah. you know, he kind of took this view that, well, I'm getting to an age where I just may as well keep going year round because why dial it down and dial it back up? I may as well maintain. And so how do you, how do you deal with that at, at the college level where you're almost ramping guys down and having to ramp them back up? What's the balance there? Yep. No, you're hundred percent right. Because, you know, they're going year round and it's as a, as a pitching coach, it's trying to find when is that time that they're actually going to get some rest, right? Like where it's not just 12 months straight. Um, but like you alluded to in, in the college season, especially for a new guy, September and October might be the first, you know, the most important two months of their, of their young career, right? It's fall ball. It's when they're going to come make the impression with their teammates, the impression with our head coach and just kind of find their footing, right. To see where they, where they stack up. And so that's obviously a huge competition period. And then for us, um, just this kind of based off of our weather up at Gonzaga in the Northern part of the, the country, um, around Halloween is when our fall ball ends. And so for us, Halloween to, um, you know, Thanksgiving. So the end, end of November, um, is what I would call it's usually a five to six week period, which I would call kind of an active rest, um, where we put the baseballs away, but that's, we're still throwing fly balls, um, which I think is good because it, it gets kind of gives them a, a nice way to still feel connected to, to throwing. It keeps their arm going. Um, but maybe you, you miss out on some of those fine motor things that, you know, sometimes are causing like, you know, a little inflammation and, and tendonitis at times. So we've been a big believer in that, of keeping pile balls going during that active rest. And then, you know, we're starting our season. I think this year what was it February 17th was opening day, somewhere right around there. We started our ramp up for that the second week of December. And so, you know, given a good nine weeks of, of really starting to ramp up before we were going full speed at the end of January to get them ready for the season. And so, um, same thing. I'd rather be on the end of having a proper ramp up time than having a long rest. Um, for a lot of American kids, especially kids up in our area in the Northwest, I see so many guys, they shut down, you know, they'll take, they'll take November, December off, and then they'll start throwing again. And all of a sudden they're on the mound by Martin Luther King day, middle of January. And it's like, Whoa, that's, you didn't do any of your, any of the prep work to get yourself ready to get off the mound. You know, that'd be like, Hey, you're going to go bench press 250 pounds. And you went from a hundred pounds to all of a sudden you're under the bar with, you know, three wheels on you. And so, um, does it, you know, it's fine when you do it, but physically, how do you bounce back from that? You, to me, that ramp up period is so much more essential than the actual rest period. The one you, you just mentioned it um, a little while ago, but long toss and long toss can be controversial. Um, what, where do you stand on long toss? What, what what's a good what's a good long toss program, and how should a, a young player attack? Long, or what, what are the benefits first of all, and 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 what approach should a young player take to long toss? Yeah, I'm an advocate for long toss. I like to have let guys see the ball, you know, let it fly. But I think, I mean, if we if we fundamentally break down why are we having guys long toss is it's probably the simplest way for them to gauge their output, right? Like you get instant feedback. I either threw it far enough or I didn't. And so you start to learn how to, you know, organize your body to, how am I going to create some, some force and energy to throw this ball far? Um, I, I think, you know, the more important part of long toss though, as, as you're, you're extending out, I think where a lot of guys go wrong is, you know, say we went out to 250 feet, um, which is, that's a decent, you know, you're moving the ball decent there, but 
is that that amount of time where we're coming back in from that 250 of that compression phase of that's when I'm really learning how to command the baseball when I'm trying to keep that 250 foot mentality as I get back into 180, 160, 140, you know, 120, 190. That's how I'm learning how to use that 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 energy that I've I've created. Um, you know, I see some of our pro guys that come back, and then I have a couple of guys on our current staff that are really learning how to that they know how to manage their output without seeing the ball fly that far. And so they're doing long toss, but they're still doing it within 150 feet, right? They know, they know what their percentage is when they're ramping it up and they're getting kind of that same, that same usage. If that, if that makes sense, where mm-hmm. they're, they're letting it, they're letting it go where I think a young player, I mean, to ask a guy to dial it down to 70%. I mean, you've watched plenty of 15 or 16 year olds. They know, they know either, zero or full speed like there's no there's no in between and so i think i think the long toss is beneficial for him because it just it creates it, it creates a little competitiveness too right like hey i, I want to see the ball fly i mean i it's pretty simple to, to say i mean if you're a 16 year old thrower and you can't get past 150 feet you're probably not letting it go for very good right i mean that's you got to build that arm strength and i think that long toss is a, is a good early gauge for a lot of amateur players I just I want to get to recruiting because I'm I'm fascinated by it and how it is operates in the modern day. But one thing that was all over social media was pitch calling, and it, and it came on the back of I think it was Vanderbilt. They had guys with these <laughs> like it looked like a, uh, a a small MP3 player attached to their arm, obviously with the pitch. Um, first of all, do you call pitches at the college level? Um, and how much trickery is involved. And I think people are unawares of how much effort goes into sign stealing at the college game. And um, it'd be really cool just to chat about that for for a little while. Yeah. Um, I, I do call pitches. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, I know there's some controversy to that, that, Hey, the catchers should do it. And I guess the one thing I, I just read an article on the other day is, you know, you you alluded to the amount of time restrictions our guys have. You know, this is my job. This is my career. And so diving into a scattering report on a team we're going to play, that's that's something I'm going to do to ask our our catcher who's cramming for a final to kind of get it on that same level probably isn't necessarily fair. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do call pitches. And we've actually, you know, for the last six years, I used one of those, you know, a number grid where you, you know, flash three numbers and the catcher gets them on his band and then puts them in and, We've actually made the jump this year that um, to the Bluetooth walkie-talkie, which is, I'm guessing, probably 60 or 70% of college uses. And um, I can say from my standpoint, using the one-way walkie-talkie is a heck of a lot better than signaling in signs every time. Um, but what you talked about is stealing signs is a humongous deal at our level. Um, I think it was starting to taper off or it was getting better, but now with the amount of technology um, – Synergy, which is a video, um, you know, scouting service, you know, I would say with, with runners on second base, you better be pretty darn sophisticated or else, you know, those, you know, an ops guy could sit there and watch a whole game and have your sign sequences down. And so you got to be able to, to flip them batter to batter and, and be ready to go. No different than, you know, we do the same thing. I, I, I watched it last year in the playoffs for the major league baseball, but our pitcher and catcher both have a card and there's, you know, X amount of different variables on there. Hey, let's switch the sign sequence to sign sequence three and just be able to, 
to you know, manipulate that. It's a lot of external stuff that you shouldn't have to worry about. But you know, our greatest advantage as pitchers and catchers is we know what's coming. And they, they, the hitter hopefully shouldn't, right? And so, um, trying to protect that is a uh, is is huge. And the other piece is is you'd be amazed at the amount of base coaches and you know guys in the dugout that are that are are working hard to to get guys off. You know how they're tipping off their glove, right? They're holding a breaking ball chest high and they're ho- holding their fastball just a little bit lower and all that verbalizing stuff is it's frustrating if, if, you, if it's if it's not going good i mean it's just it's a bad feeling even if someone's deking you right like oh hey first name fastball last name off speed and even if they don't have it right it, it puts you on high alert so so you're sitting in the dugout with a bluetooth bluetooth earpiece in just same fastball what no i actually have like the it's like an old school like walkie cocky or you know, push the button oh. over out like so the catcher the catcher's got a bluetooth earpiece in yeah um it's one-way communication though so if i can sit there and and get after our, our catcher he can't say anything back to me right. so um so, <laughs> so they, but yeah it's, i i mean it's it's kind of silly but it really is you know so, it it helps it, it makes things faster that's that's one thing it's you know we have a pitch clock you know, yeah got, yep. but it just speeds everything up and you know i haven't seen I haven't seen the Vanderbilt thing in person. I read this, probably read the same article you did, and that looked a little bit crazy. But I guess you're ensuring you don't get picked. So, so then, are you also having to cover your mouth in the event that the opposition has a lip reader out there as well? <laughs> we, we you know what? Level? I'm gonna sound. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sound silly here. I, I like put my clipboard up, and then our our other assistants like, what are you, what are you doing right now? And I'm. He's probably right. I, I, I think I was watching too much of the Super Bowl and watching Sean McVay do it when he's falling in place for the Rams. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't think I'm worried about the lip reader deal. So the uh, well there's a there's a there's a competitive advantage for some team out there that employs a, a professional lip reader to uh, to grab. <laughs> the the interesting piece with pitch call though is it's not like uh, and I could be completely wrong here, but it's not like the, the catcher and the pitcher are not across the game plan, right? So that they, they've obviously worked with you on a scouting report and you're taking it to the, you know, the nth degree as in this is how we're going to attack them, but you'd have a plan. So it's not like the catcher's like, oh, he called a fastball there. I didn't expect that. Like there's, you're obviously all on the same page. It's just you dialing it up game time. So, you know, I, I, well, yep. I could be 100% wrong there, but I'm, I'm assuming that's the case. You're going through the, the lineup with the with the staff and the catching, catchers to – kind of have a approach I'm, I'm assuming for, for sure and at the end of the day they have the the ability to shake and if they have conviction in something that i didn't call they can go they can go get to it um but you know a lot of them and we talk a lot in our program of you know we're obviously going to try to pitch to the the weaknesses of the of the opposing team but i'm also going to try to do the things you do really good and, and try to attack with your best two bullets and and so, you know, for the most part, I'd say 90% of my guys are, they're just, they, they like to nod and be aggressive and go. And I got a couple guys that are maybe thinking a little bit more and they have the freedom to, to do that if they want to shake to get to another pitch. So, mm. yeah, that's, uh, I think the sign stealing piece is, you know, we all saw the Houston Astros stuff, but at the college level, it's just insane how much time and effort goes into trying to find an edge so um yeah it, it was just good to touch on that hey i want to dive into recruiting um as you said you're you're going or you're starting the proce- process at sophomores now that's sophomores at high school we're talking 15 15 year olds 
Um, yeah. Just want to ask you a bunch of dumb questions about the recruiting process, and also you have an Australian kid on staff, so be really interested to know how that all came about. Um, but let's break down recruiting. So you, every year, you kind of have players. You've got them for four years. You have you know roster turnover. How do you attack? Uh, recruiting from a holistic perspective you're looking for like two three years out but you're also having to fill spots uh on the current roster worry about next year and how much of your time goes into the recruiting side of things yeah i uh, i'd say you know for the majority of the year I, almost all your time goes into recruiting uh not all your time that's that's, that's not true but a lot of your time it's always on your brain um you know even after the game today we had sat down and we spent 20 minutes talking about a couple guys that we're going to try to see here in the next two days. Um, but yeah, that, that recruiting piece, it's, it's completely fluid. You know, I, I, we alluded to the fact that, yeah, you're starting on sophomores and starting to build that. And you're looking out at your rosters two or three years down the road, but you're also, you know, looking to plug maybe immediate holes coming into next year's team. Right. Cause you know, one, you know, you're always, you're always trying to forecast what the draft's going to look like. You're going to look at what graduation's going to look like, but there's also a component. Sometimes guys don't don't necessarily pan out or don't play the role that you envision them to have. And you know, and that's not to say it's just a cutthroat that guy's out the door. But if that guy's not ready to be a, a starting starting contributor this year, well, we're going to do our best to go find someone who could fill that gap. And then you know, maybe you still give that guy some time to develop and 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 go and so it's uh you know we're looking at all kinds of different levels whether it's you know young high school kids and you got the more immediate you know high school kids but then we're also we're heavy in the junior college ranks you know i I don't know what the exact breakdown on our roster is but out of our 40 i'm guessing we have seven or eight guys that spent time at the jc level um and then now the the transfer portal the the four-year straight across transfers you know we've we had some good luck with that last year with a, a first baseman and we have two guys in, in that boat this year as well. And so, um, yeah, we spend a heck of a lot of time talking about players. That's, uh, that's the lifeblood of, 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 a, of a good program, I think. And when you, you know, like you identify a player, you're, just, you're in um, Los Angeles at the moment after a series down there, but um, so you, you said you're going to go and see some players. So you identify a player, what does that process look like from there? You're reaching out to the player or the parent, and then what kind of – how does the process begin? Well, I guess it's like dating, right? It's like – I mean, well, for one part, there's all kinds of NCAA restrictions on communication. Um, and so how old the player is kind of determines if you can initiate contact. If they're not of a certain age, you have to initiate contact through a coach. That stuff's kind of – man, it's, it's – it's, it's challenging on, on some, some degrees. Um, but let's just say we have a, a recruitable age player who's, who would be a junior September 1st of your junior year. It's, it's open to a conversation. And so, yeah, if we, if we see someone we like, and maybe we just saw them without any prior Intel. Um, yeah, we're going to initiate a conversation with, with the player. We're going to initiate a conversation with their coach um, and, and just really start that, you, you said kind of like dating. It really is. And, and sometimes it's speed dating where you're trying to get as much information as you can, because, you know, if it's uh, for lack of a better term, but if it's a really pretty girl, um, there's going to be a lot of suitors to, to be there. So you're trying to find out as much info as you can and, you know, do your homework on what kind of student they are. You obviously are making the, the evaluation of what kind of player they are. 
um, and then trying to find out just some of those those really subjective and tangible from their from their coaches and you know what kind of teammate are they what kind of competitor are they um, you know are they the, the the early guy or are they the guy that shows up right at practice I mean and trying to just paint this picture of what they're going to be in two years which isn't maybe isn't always fair but it's 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 what we have to do so the you know obviously one of the other elements that you have is that your college is a really academic school so you obviously you're then weighing up is this kid not only going to be able to get in academically but going to be able to maintain the work to stay eligible and those types of things as well so um you know that's just an an added wrinkle that is required to consider when you bring your people in i i think the big thing for us from an academic standpoint is you know as, as you're aware we're, we're, we're a private school and the academics are important but i, I think the the biggest thing with being a private academic school is our tuition isn't cheap. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of money to go to Gonzaga. And so for me, the, the academic piece is finding guys. Um, if you're a certain level of student that all of a sudden qualifies you for some academic money that we don't have to, we don't have to count towards our, our scholarship allotment. And now all of a sudden we can get to a spot where, you know, tuition and full ride is, is affordable. We're not asking someone to take out a mortgage on their home to, you know, to come, come go to school and get a degree and, and play baseball for four years. And so to me, that's the sweet spot for us is finding guys that are, are high level academic guys that are also really high level players. And if you're not going to be high level academic, you better be really good because that means we're spending a lot of our, our precious 11.7 on, you know, on that type of guy. So, And what, um, are you, is this, it, I had sort of, got the impression that official and non-official of visits were sort of falling by the wayside, but can you explain what they are and, and how important they can be? Yeah, huge. I mean, uh, you're right. They're starting to blend a little bit where there, there's not a ton of difference, but the biggest difference between an unofficial and a, an official visit is an official visit. You get to take five of them as a prospect and the, the university can basically they can pay for all of it. They can pay for your travel, pay for your accommodations, pay for your food, um, and you know when, whenever you're on campus. An unofficial visit, we can do everything the exact same, just we're not paying for it. And so, um, typically, if you're down to you know some schools that you're you're going to be talking to and making a decision, you're probably going to take an official visit before you you go there. Um, if you're just starting the process and starting to learn some things, you know. You're, you're maybe you're taking an unofficial visit. Maybe you're starting to gain information before you have an offer on the table type deal. But there's a good indication that maybe it'll come here down the road type type situation. And I guess as I touched on earlier, you've got an Australian guy uh, on the roster. How did that? You know, how does it? How, how do you recruit international players? How do they get on your radar? And um, are there other yep. challenges that come with that, or was it a fairly seamless process? Um. Yeah, that was it. Was a good process. We've, you know, there was a group that was out of Sydney that was bringing um, a team of players, mostly sophomores and juniors, up to um, in late September, October, to what's called the, the Arizona Fall Classic. So out in in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and we had a chance to watch, you know, that group for a couple weeks. And you know, the nice thing for them is they were they were relatively pretty educated on what the recruiting process was like. Um, you know, Ryan Rollins. Ryan Roland Smith and Trent Olichen were, were in charge of that group. And, um, you know, it was 
a situation where we found the guy that, you know, liked Liam and we were able to get him up on a, on an old fish visit. And, um, sorry, you there. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, we were able to get him up on an official visit and he took a couple others and, you know, we ended up being the spots that, that he chose. And so it was, a uh, you know, I, I guess the, the biggest hurdle would be with, a with an international student would be is getting them to be able to visit campus when they're here. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not like, Oh, you're at your tournament. And now you're going to fly 15 hours from LA back to Sydney or 19 hours back to Perth. And Hey, you're, you're going to come up this Saturday. So kind of those logistical things were tough, right? Getting, getting that lined up and then, um, you know, reading an Australian transcript, that's a little bit more challenging, a little more, not quite as straightforward as our, uh, <laughs> as the, what I'm used to looking at, but we have, I guess the nice thing for us is our athletic department, our compliance office, you know, um, our basketball teams had obviously their fair share of international guys, our, our tennis programs, our golf programs, they've, they've got more international players than we do. And so really relying on them. But to me, the biggest thing was just getting, being able to get them on campus and, and developing that relationship relatively quick. Um, but I guess the one thing I would even add to that that's been, you know, the one benefit maybe of this whole COVID thing the last two years is we've all gotten a heck of a lot better at doing, doing things remote. And so I can't tell you during our shutdown two years ago how many, or even up till last June, how many campus tours I did via FaceTime. Um, you know, can you imagine you, you get my ugly mug just in there, right, right in your grill, and I'm walking around with headphones on, and, you know, you get people in the department looking at you like, what are you doing? But you're at least able to give a snapshot of, you know, what the what, what, what the place looks like. It's not the same as being in person, but it's you're at least not going into it blind, mm. right? So. What is it that um... – when you bring a kid onto campus, what is it that normally seals the deal for them on the Gonzaga campus? Like, what 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 is jumping mm-hmm. out to kids? Like, it used to be University of Oregon was just like the gear. Um, you know, they had this yeah. Nike Palace. But you know, what what do you find is the thing that really grabs a young kid's attention when you say, "Hey, this is our campus, and this is what you're signing up for"? Yeah, um, I, I think we're we're definitely trying to show off all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you're you're not wrong. Oregon ten years ago had everything. I think a lot of places we have our guys are pretty spoiled as far as the gear. Um, you're showing that stuff off. You're showing off. We have a, a beautiful stadium that was built. You know, it's, I guess it's almost 15 years now, but um, you know, a $10 million stadium and we have a new $10 million indoor development center. That's going to break ground this summer. Um, so you're showing them all that stuff. But um, I think for us, the biggest thing is trying to get them in, you know, with as many people <laughs> at our school as possible. And that's one thing we really sell is, the relationship piece and um, the continuity in our coaching staff, the academic support. Um, that's one thing with being a smaller private school is there's, there's a lot of people pulling the rope in the, in the same direction as, as those kids are going. And so um, we're just, we really, really want to sell that support piece and, and how we're going to, you know, insulate you a little bit and challenge you not only athletically, but obviously that academic piece and, and just really try to try to push forward with all that. So. So we we touched on it at the start, but you guys recently finished up a series at Oklahoma State. Who I'm I'm pretty sure their stadium was into the hundreds of millions. What was your scouting report on yeah. that place? Uh, plus plus, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one. I you know I like I've been doing this a little while now. I haven't been everywhere, but I've been to a lot of sweet spots. Um, that was one I actually on our practice night the night before. I I got the old cell phone out and. Uh, 
took a little, you know, panoramic, you know, video of it to send back home to my buddies. And, you know, it's as advertised as, I think it was 75 to a hundred million. Um, it has everything that you would could ever imagine. And I'd put it right up there. We were at Arkansas two years ago. That's, that's right there. The one, the one place I haven't been yet that I think is right on par with those two is, um, is Mississippi state. But, um, just the, the amount of facilities in college baseball now is, it's absolutely silly. Like it's, it's really cool. The grit, the game's continuing to grow, but yeah, w- what you see on Instagram and Twitter with uh, old Oklahoma State, it's better in person. It was, <laughs> it was nice. I would encourage oh. people to find footage. I think there's some YouTube uh, of sort of tours of it. It's it is mind blowing. Hey, we've had you for a little while. I want to f- just want to finish with kind of one line of questioning, then we'll let you go. Now you touched on at the start that you've got three to four guys um, who will go early in the draft. And I'm interested to know, you know, particularly in college baseball nowadays, almost gone are the days where a coach is in a job for 30 years and doesn't really matter what the win-loss record is, just keep churning out fine young men. Now there's a significantly more pressure on the win-loss column and, you know, we're seeing colleges turn over coaches, particularly in baseball, at a rate that hasn't always happened. How do you juggle yep. the we got to win today with I've got a kid who in a couple of months' time could be signing for millions of dollars and that – that mentality where, you know, and the kids want to win too. So they want to be out there. How do you, how do you as a pitching coach juggle that act to look after that your current and their current desire to win and their future earning potential and and success? Yeah. I I don't think there's a black and white answer to that. I think it's, it's a constant juggle. And I think the biggest thing there um, with our athletes is, is developing a, a, a level of trust and a level of communication that, they know that we're going to have their best interests, you know, uh, you know, for, for them. And I, I just look at this weekend, we had one of our guys who's got a little bit of an nagging injury. He was scratched from his start. Um, and that, that obviously would have helped us out yesterday in a, in a game that, you know, it was, was a big game. And, um, but we want to, you know, he's, he's got a lot of baseball in front of them, not just this week, you know, this past weekend. And so constantly trying to do that. And I think with, with our guys is, is letting them know that, there's an open line of communication reciprocated the other way too, that they're all open and honest with us, that they feel comfortable to come talk to me if they're not feeling good or, you know, and just continuing. It's a full process on that. It's, it's a, it's relationship based, I think, but yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, we're, there's, there's undeniable here. We're trying to win games. We're, we're trying to win as many games as we can. We're trying to advance to, you know, we had a good, good club last year, but we're trying to go to another level and keep taking our program. But, yeah, like I said, I these three or four guys, they, they have a ton of baseball left in their lives, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything on both ends to, to protect that best we can, and especially with pitching, right? It's such a volatile volatile spot at times. So. Yeah, it's not a it's not an enviable position where you got to win, but you also got to kind of keep everyone's best interests in line. It, it, they're not things that normally go hand in hand, so it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty impressive response. Hey, um. I really appreciated your time. The insight is incredibly valuable and we'd love to check in with you again as the season progresses and hopefully you guys head towards tournament time. So uh, thank you very much and uh, uh, always appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Stu. I appreciate you.